Welcome to The Austin Approach. I'm your co-host, Bryce Doobie. And I'm your co-host, Michelle Lai. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Michelle, how are things going for you? Things are going very well. Things are... I, I can't believe we're recording already, Bryce. It's like time is flying and uh, and it's all good. All good. I'm glad to be here. I love spending some time with you, Bryce. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a good break. I always look forward to this every every couple of weeks that we get to do this. So always good to see you, listen to hear you, uh, especially we've been really, really, I know we say again every every week, but I think coming out of the pandemic, we, we're really, really busy right now. <laughs> we are. We are slamming and jamming. Yes, uh, I, I think now we're just back to business entirely. It has been a big upswing as far as summer travelers getting back out there and it's been busy. I was actually out in the terminal um, the, the past Friday or two Fridays ago um, before seven in the morning on Friday and a Saturday, just checking out, seeing what the lines were, working with some media on some things. And um, it's busy. I mean, folks definitely do need to be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. They were saying that they're, yeah, get, get there nice and early and uh, make sure you've left yourself plenty of time because we've just got so much air travel actually happening now. And they all seem to be, there's a lot of flights now leaving early in the morning. Yeah, it's it's definitely something to be prepared for. Um, we always talk about our peak travel times at the airport and that sort of uh, 6 to 8 and then 11.30 to 1 and 3.30 to 5. But really the big one for folks is if you have a flight before 8 a.m., like if it's going to be departing before 8 a.m., you're going to need to give yourself some time. Um, We've made some changes at the airport. We've got all of our security checkpoints open and things like that. But really give yourself at least a good, at a minimum, two and a half hours if you're flying out before 8 a.m., um, and that's not just to get through security. That's to get in if you're going to be checking in luggage, if you're maybe doing one of our international flights out to Cabo or Nassau or something like that, and you've got to go through the ticket counters for passport checks and all those types of things. Um, all of that as part of that process. So really, really, really plan ahead uh, and give yourself some of that time for those early morning flights uh, because it, it, gets, it gets busy. Funny you should mention Cabo. Really? <laughs> it's almost as though we were discussing Cabo. <laughs> I'll be heading out there and my flight is uh, at 7 a.m. So I'm, I have been well warned. Bryce, the man himself, has warned me and said, girlfriend, you better get there nice and early. So, yeah, I'm going to be hitting up some coffee first thing in the a.m., I reckon. Well, that was the thing that was really interesting. Like, I will say this, like the, the lines move steady. It's like you, you, when you first kind of walk through the doors, as I did the other day, you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people here. The lines move at a good steady pace. TSA is doing an awesome job of pass- um, processing folks through. Uh, I was looking at some of the numbers. I mean, they're putting through like 7,000 people in the morning. It's unbelievable, like the amount of work that they're doing. So it does get through. It's just because so many folks are coming out. I mean, folks, we're seeing everybody getting their vaccines. Uh, folks mm-hmm. are, those summer trips that you put off last year, um, we're definitely seeing passengers out there. I know we're seeing on the weekends now, it's like typically between even like Saturday was a slow day and that was 18,000 passengers. A Sunday is like 25,000 passengers. And that's, kind of normal for what we were seeing pre-pandemic. So if you remember how the airport was busy back in 2019, which was our busiest year ever, we're getting close to being back to that. So definitely plan ahead. We are. And and you know something else? We had our, we had our representative for TSA come and do our podcast. And at that time she was saying, hey, we, we're hiring. So if you're looking, 
TSA is hiring folks. Yeah, I know there's some opportunities. I know that nationally they said that there was, uh, I want to say, 3,000 uh, shortages that they're looking for. I, there's no specifics for individual airports or things, but there are some really great opportunities for folks who are looking to maybe get a career in the aviation industry um, on yep. the TSA side. I know we've got uh, some great jobs. I was looking just um, for what we've got posted. If you go to the city of Austin's uh, career website, just on the aviation department, I think we've got 13 positions open right now. I know there's some mm-hmm. really great ones with some of our concession partners. Uh, the airlines are all starting to plus up their staff. It's really all starting to come roaring back. So it's definitely something to check out. We do have a section on our website that you can look at, which actually does have links to both airlines, concessions, some of those other um, organizations that work here at the airport. And then as always, you can find our jobs. If you just do an internet search for um, City of Austin jobs, it'll take you to the city's website. Click aviation on your search and you can see what's available. Yep. AUS is hiring people all over. (laughs) So come, come join us. The water is warm. And speaking on that kind of employment HR front, I know a lot of your day job is on that is on the performance management side. And that's really kind of um, helping everyone here at the Department of Aviation. I mean, you, you manage performance, but um, <laughs> <laughs> explain that in a way that makes me sound smarter. Um, what, what have you been up to? Yes, I, I. You know what? There's there's been a lot of things. So I let me just start off. Let me just lead with. I love what I do. Right. I'm like I I, I love I love the the people aspect of what I do. So really, when you're talking about performance management, uh, we're we're talking about how really it's think about it as employee engagement and retention. How, what programs can we put in place that are going to improve and enhance the employee experience? Um, and there's a lot to that, right? There's a there's a career ladders, there's um, uh, coaching, there are professional development programs, leadership programs, award and recognition, employee employee engagement, diversity, equity and inclusion. I mean, it includes all of all of these different things. So right now, I've I've got some really cool work going on right now. I'm one of them is, well, if you remember, we talked about the emerging leaders that was just starting. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so now that's about to wrap up. So we're, you know, two, two and a half months in to that. So that graduation is happening at the uh, towards the end of June, which is brilliant. And then we will get ready for another one. Um, but so what we're be, also be doing. the third one? This yeah, there'll be the third one, and so we're you know we're playing around right now. We've done the last two virtually, and we're playing around with what. Let's let's take a look at starting to move in person, maybe in the fall, and uh, and do one in person, and see how that is. So we're excited about that too. So there's a certain amount of curriculum transitions that have to happen when you move from virtual to in person. And uh, we ran a DACUM pre- uh, process. So DACUM is uh, the acronym for developing a curriculum. Um, and basically, we've been spending time, uh, the performance team has been spending a lot of time working on the curriculum of a supervisor academy here, uh, specifically for the supervisory group of the aviation department. And um, so the DACUM process really is taking our incumbent, high performance incumbent workers, right? And we we run a panel with them that talks about their, what is their um their, their functions, their, you know, their tasks and their duties, their knowledge and their skills and abilities kind of thing. And we, we look at it and go, what is it that, that you need most? What is it that you spend your most time on? What is the high critical, um, high, like high, uh, a lot of time, you spend a lot of time doing these things and it's a critical function of your job. And when you take the high performing incumbent workers and they, they do that 
for two days. They go through this whole process for two days, mapping out what they what they do. And then uh, we have a second panel that comes in. And the second panel is um, a validation panel. And that's also supervisors. And they come in and they validate the work of the first two-day panel. And uh, yeah, so we're now um, about to hit the third panel, which is a management review. And then after that, we will take a look at all of the information and say, okay, with what we've already developed in our curriculum, what have we missed or what have we not put enough importance on it within our curriculum that's going to be meaningful for up and coming new and, and you know, uh, supervisors that have been around for a long time as well. So it's a lot of work, but it's the information, it's rich in information and data, right? Like the whole process is, is pretty, uh, pretty awesome. That's really cool. So when you said um, you said high performing incumbent work, is that workers? Yes, workers? that would be like yeah. like you, Bryce. You would be a high performing incumbent worker. Well, that's not going ahead of ourselves. But but like, what sort of roles would would those be? That's that's interesting. I've never heard that term. So that is when ordinarily what you would do is you would reach out to whoever. We, so let's say, for example, we were going to do a a process on for 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 let's say your role right? Like a public information person, we would, let's say we were a larger company and we would say, okay, we want to know what training standards or, or certification standards, uh, or do we really, do we need to like, look at the job description here? And we would put maybe, um, seven or eight of you guys together who your supervisors would have said, yes, these seven or eight people are really good at what they do. They're high performing and they're in the job right now. And so, we get the recommendations from the people that report to them. I'm sorry. The, yeah. The people that they report to, <laughs> we get recommendations from the people that they report to, uh, that will say, yes, here's, here's the names of the, of the folks that we believe are really good at their job. And those are the folks that we ask. So where do you spend your time? If you're really good at your job, where, where is it that you spend your time? What is it that you do? Um, what knowledge do you, do you need? What training do you need? And then we develop uh, a curriculum from there. But it can also be used as an occupational analysis. So that's what makes it very useful is if we're looking at, like, for example, we looked at our supervisory group and it was about being a supervisor. It didn't matter if you were a supervisor at Landside or a supervisor of PIO or a supervisor of performance management. The question is, as a supervisor, what supervisory, what do you do as a supervisor that, that, uh, that maybe you wouldn't do as an individual contributor? What makes you a supervisor? What work makes you a supervisor? Um, and that's what made it super interesting. And it's not only about what they say, it's also about what they don't say. Right? Huh. So there's, there's a peek behind the curtain with culture there as well. Now, speaking of culture, you, I got actually an email from you recently about culture. Um, and you I guess there's, <laughs> there's something else new that you're working on because you, you can't stop doing like 20 million different programs. Yes. I'm, I'm going to be running a culture, uh, a culture brainstorm workshop. I'm glad that you, um, that you accepted the invite, accepted the challenge. Uh, so it should be a fun day and it's really just getting um, a, a group of our diverse, a, a diverse group of our employees together to, to talk about, Hey, what, what, 
what culture do we have here? How do you how do you feel here? How can we do better? And, and what is culture? Let's define it. What do you guys think culture is and, and who's responsible for it? And um, yeah, it should be fun. I don't want to give too much away because it should be a fun day. There's a whole bunch of people going to be going to be there. Folks, actually, that one of the things that I've done is, I mean, I really did a cross section of, of, of our employees and I'm hoping that many of them, right, will, that we wouldn't ordinarily have face-to-face time with will We'll, we'll show up and, and be there and participate. should be fun. That's really cool because we do have like it is one of those things. We have such a interesting just pool of folks who work at the airport across so many different roles and organizations and operations and things that they do. So really kind of I think what you're saying, like establishing that that culture piece to who we all are with AUS, that, that's a really interesting kind of step forward on things. Absolutely. And and what I love about working at the airport is we have such a cross section of capabilities and people here. And we're going to be talking to somebody today who I didn't know the group would have, ex- I didn't know this group existed. So it's an environmental group. We're going to talk to a guy called Kingsley and, and he <laughs> Kingsley works for the environmental uh, group. And I had no idea that airports had environmental groups. Cause I, again, I, I think I said this before I would, I would, arrive, get on an airplane, come back and pick up my bag. Like that, that is as much thought as I give to airports until I started working at one. So, but before we get to that, I do want to just point out one quick thing that I noticed the other day when I was in the terminal. Uh, So one thing I do anytime I'm in work now, I just, I think COVID really kind of made me miss the airport. So I always take advantage of taking a walk through the terminal just to get the feel, figure things out, see how things are. Um, It was some great advice I got when I first started working here on just like walk the terminal, it really helps you understand the air travel process. Um, but I always, every time I'm there, I go gate one all the way down to gate 34 and then back out the exit, just get my sense for the day. You also get your steps in. It's quarter mile end to end if anyone's measuring. Um, Ooh. But I was down there and right next to gates one, two, three, four, five, six, because they're all kind of in a group together, Parkside has reopened. <gasps> oh, really? Yes. Okay, Bryce, I feel another lunch date coming on. Yeah, Parkside is awesome. I haven't eaten there since it opened, um, and it is a fantastic sit-down restaurant um, right below the Delta Sky Club. Uh, it's yep. this gorgeous round space, uh, looks out with just windows everywhere. It's a really fantastic little spot. Uh, surprise, surprise, I had a burger while I was there. Um <laughs> It was great. Uh, I remember it's actually the photo that we have. The, the burger that I actually ate is the photo that we have on our airport maps. Um, and it was a nice bacon cheeseburger with a little bit of guac on it and things. Uh, they had really great fries with it. Just an awesome, awesome burger. I know uh, the coworker who I was there with having uh, lunch as well, they had a um, – it was a fried egg sandwich uh, that was on some real nice crusty oh, bread. Yes. It was – Really good. They have other stuff too. They've got some great salad options, some really healthy things, but definitely, definitely check out Parkside. Oh, listen, I'm ready. I am ready. So we we, we may schedule that, Bryce. I, I, I actually, I want you to order another burger, but I, I also feel like I need to f- throw down the gauntlet and dare you to order something else. <laughs> I, I have tried other food at the airport, I promise. <laughs> I just always figure that it's a good default setting. You can you can get a sense of what, what the kind of the place is. And I always think back, there was one time when we were in doing, this is kind of an aside, we'll, we'll take a break in a second, but it's one of my like favorite weird airport stories. I was walking through the terminal one day and it was right when uh, we were doing a bunch of construction on our concessions 
Um, and we had a bunch of places open, a bunch of places reopening. But if folks remember, kind of through the main terminal, there was all these construction walls and a lot of our concessions were down. And a gentleman in the passenger stopped me and he just like looked. He's like, is there anywhere in this airport where I can get a dang hamburger? <laughs> um, and looking back at that, I chuckle now because it's like – well, now we have a ton of places where you can get a really good hamburger. <laughs> yeah, um, like some of the best. Yeah, so I, I think we'll definitely have to do some more concession stuff in the future. But right now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have an awesome conversation with a member of the AUS environmental team. Want to stay connected with the Austin Approach? Be sure to hit the subscribe button. You can also find us online on Facebook and Twitter at Austin Airport, on Instagram at AUS Airport, and on our website at austintexas.gov airport. Got a question or topic you'd like to hear on a future episode? Email us at the Austin Approach at austintexas.gov. Bryce. We have someone today to join us who is pretty big deal. He's a pretty big deal at the airport. And what his group does is actually incredibly important to the mission of the airport as well. Um, and he's with the environmental group. And his name is Kingsley. Hi, Kingsley. Hello. How's it going? Hi, Michelle. Hi, Bryce. It's going well. Thank you. Well, we're happy to have you here because here's the deal. I don't, I'm not sure if many people know that we have an environmental group out here at the airport and the work that they do. And one of the things we wanted to spotlight this week was uh, people with interesting jobs at the airport that you might not ordinarily associate with, you know, flying in and out of um, not Dublin because we don't do a direct flight to Dublin, just so everybody knows, (laughs) but (laughs) just in general flights. So talk to me, what is it that you do here, Kingsley? What's your role at the airport? So I am an environmental compliance specialist in the environmental affairs division here at Austin Bergstrom International. And we manage a number of programs that are environmental related, Uh, sustainability, we manage waste, compliance and conservation. Those are like the main structures that, that we work on here at the airport. And I mean, everything from managing the the trash in the terminal and where it goes and all the way to where de-icing fluid that's sprayed on the aircrafts, how we manage that so that it's not negatively impacting the local uh, creek, which is Onion Creek and the Colorado River. That sounds like a really important job for the airport. I mean, I know we're, we have, we've always talked about like having room to grow and things. How big is the, the area that you guys look after? So the, The campus of the airport is about 4,200 acres. Of that, uh, 1,000 acres is impervious cover. So that means like the roofs of buildings, the roads, the tarmac, sidewalks, uh, anything where stormwater, rainwater lands but doesn't have a way of infiltrating into soil. So all of that 1,000 acres, that's water running off and we manage that in a way that doesn't pollute the Onion Creek and the Colorado River. Yeah, I know here in Austin, we talk a lot with, I mean, there's a lot of pride in kind of our waterways and how we take care of that. And then you always see folks out there um, who really love some of the 
natural resource that we have in the area. So it's really awesome to see that we do have these dedicated programs in place to really uh, help maintain and preserve those things for the future. So that's really cool. Um, what can you tell us about as far as what you what you do? What is a day to day kind of job or what are some of the like big highlights of some of the work that you do? Yeah, because every now and then I see you with a hard hat and a like a um, what do you call those? Like a fluorescent jacket rolling around. Right, Maybe some water specimens. Yeah, safety vest, one of those. <laughs> I never get to wear safety vests. So. <laughs> well, to go along with our water conservation programs, we have a lot of infrastructure at the airport that is used to uh, to manage that stormwater as it runs off. So we have water quality ponds. We have sand, fil- sand filtration basins, and those are designed to prevent trash as well as other pollutants like silt and petroleum products or any pollution from entering those waterways. So we we try to capture as much of that as possible on site so we can manage it. Uh, Another one of the things we do is anytime there's like something gross that happens at the airport, we want to put some of it in a jar and uh, do an analysis on that. So when we have de-icing fluid that is commingled with stormwater. We capture that in great big uh, basins, and then we sample it. We take it to the lab, find out if it's safe to release to the waterways, or if we have to divert it to the wastewater treatment plant. So what's your background on that? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of different kind of science to all of that as someone who is very much a liberal arts person. Um, Like what got you into all of this? This is interesting. Uh, So actually, I have a liberal arts degree as well. I went to Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas, but it was with an environmental studies um, focus. And from there, I worked as an environmental consultant for a while and then worked for the state environmental agency, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, and and then uh, was lucky enough to get a job with the city of Austin here at Aviation. And the airport is basically a really big industrial complex. So we have, you know, fuelers, we've got grease traps, we've got grit traps, we've got uh, the de-icing ponds, we've got, um, you know, a lot of vehicle maintenance that might have, you know, drips on the pavement. So we we do our very best to, to reduce that pollution as much as possible. So what's your favorite thing to do? What 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 do you have to do that you go, oh man, that's awesome. I'm, I get to do this again today. Well, anytime that you're at the airport, you know, there's a lot going on. There's the planes. So anytime you see the planes go take off and land is pretty neat. But probably my favorite thing to do is we have to inspect our infrastructure to make sure that it's working correctly. And we, we do visual inspections every quarter and in the springtime when the blue bonnets and all the wildflowers are blooming it's really nice to walk around those ponds see see the flowers and watch the airplanes take off and land i totally know what you mean like that's i feel like a lot of our big launches for like air service during the year is in that same period in like april may it's it's like oh no i have to go out and take pictures of the airplanes while all these wildflowers are out like just (laughs) just absolutely just miserable experience it's like i look forward to it every year i know exactly what you're talking about Oh, absolutely. The to to go along with that, three thousand acres of land that has to be mowed. Our maintenance uh, groups do a really good job of avoiding the wildflowers as much as possible, so that everyone can enjoy them for as long as possible. 
And Kingsley, your group recently got an award. Uh, it was an Excellence in Pretreatment Award from the Austin Water Utility. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we have a significant industrial user permit with the wastewater treatment plant. And that permit allows us to divert our de-icing fluid commingled with stormwater from the creek and send it to the wastewater treatment plant. And to do that, we have to sample the water and we send them daily discharge reports. And as long as we maintain the parameters of our permit every year, we're in compliance. And, and that's what they were recognizing, six years of consecutive compliance with that permit. Daily reports, that, that's how uh, you guys really keep tabs on all this stuff. I mean, obviously, because it's it's super important, but... Yeah, during the winter, it gets pretty busy. We we come on the weekends and holidays while we're doing our discharges. And you mentioned, I know we were talking just kind of before we started recording everything, that the, the team that you're on has really been growing over the years. That's right. As the airport gets bigger, our, our group has grown. At, you know, we keep adding more types of compliance, and we're trying to always improve the operations here at the airport and hopefully make things easier for our other maintenance groups. And we, we really try and support the other groups that I feel do the majority of the actual hard labor here at the airport. Uh, any other recent wins or projects re- relating to environmental that you wanted to share us, share with us today? I mean, really just the fact that, you know, the snowpocalypse or snowvid that I call it was, was such a big deal because Otherwise, it would have been a fairly mild winter as far as we're concerned. When we have a winter season and we're managing the de-icing fluid, it really depends on how cold it is, how much precipitation there is, how much de-icing fluid uh, was really sprayed. So during COVID, we had you know, less traffic, there were less planes, and there was less de-icing fluid used. But we had this one major event that meant that our de-icing season and the way we manage that fluid extended long beyond the actual event. So that was mid-February. We were still managing that same fluid that was dispensed in February all the way into March, April, and May. Wow. Yeah. That's really, I had never even thought about it from that way. That's really interesting that, yeah, because you can't just like you said, with your permits, you can't just be like, well, we'll just send it all away and it's someone else's problem. You really do have to manage all that stuff. That's interesting. Another interesting aspect of of that event is we essentially had like a drought after the snow. So the snow landed, they spray the airplanes with de-icing fluid, then that fluid just sits in the, the underground piping on its way to our pond but it has no way of actually getting there unless it rains and flushes it into our pond system. So we just had these little small rain events for the next two months and that fluid just sat around and we didn't, we needed that really good flush of rain to actually capture all of that de-icing fluid, uh, which is why it just took us so long to, to get rid of it all. We've definitely gotten that rain since oh, then. Yeah. Yeah. We have, yeah, we certainly have. So did you always know, Kingsley, that there were environmental groups that existed in airports? I never considered it, but now that I'm here, I 
see that it's actually quite a big deal. Uh, that it be, the airport being just a big in, industrial complex means that there's just a lot of different tenants that have their own permits uh, and their own environmental permits. And we try and help them manage their programs and keep themselves in compliance. So it keeps us very busy between ground handlers, the, the fueling of the aircrafts, the airlines themselves. I mean, these, these are all players that have something to do with stormwater compliance. Do you feel like you make a difference, Kingsley, in, in your work here? I do, Michelle. <laughs> it's like such a, like, I have to answer that question that way, Michelle. <laughs> you don't. So, so here's the thing, right? I, oh, I think no, that I could be cut. Just give me my pink slip. I'm out of here. <laughs> I, I, I just, I have this, I have this preconceived notion of people that, that, that are environmentalists like yourself, right? I mean, it takes, it takes passion and it takes like, you know, like obviously you care about the environment, right? Otherwise you wouldn't have dedicated your your career to this. I mean, it takes something to get up on a rainy day at four o'clock in the morning, go test some water and write reports and continue. I mean, it, 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 you want an end goal, right? I mean, so when you work, in other words, like when you work in an airport and you work to keep the environment um, as clean as possible within, as, as you say, an industrial complex, I mean, it has to be satisfying to know that you are making a difference. Yeah, I would like to think that. Uh, I, my perspective is that I, I'm trying to make improvements to the airport all the time and, and make improvements to our environmental compliance. And it it's not just, you know, my work, it's everybody in the environmental affairs division, but also our partnerships with our maintenance group, our uh, our field maintenance, our building maintenance, all the tenants, you know, the environmental pollution at the airport can only be reduced if everybody is taking a part in it. And that I feel like I am facilitating that. Now, am I personally making a difference? I, I think that our program makes a big difference and, and those partnerships with all the other pieces are, are definitely making a difference. Is there anything our travelers can do? Is there anything our traveling public can do that would positively impact the environment as they go through our airport? Well, I think the biggest misconception is that when you pour something down the drain, it just gets cleaned up or it goes away, it disappears, and that's fine. But in Texas, we have separate storm sewer systems and wastewater systems. So if you pour something down the drain inside a building, that's going to go to the wastewater treatment plant. If you pour something down the drain and that drain is outdoors, it's going to go directly to a waterway. So anytime there's pollution on the ground outside, stormwater is eventually going to wash it down a drain and that drain is going to lead to creek, a river, a lake. So it's important to, for the public to know that when you pour something outside, that it is going to make it to those 
rivers and streams and lakes that we all use as natural resources. And here in Austin, we all take pride in the Colorado River, in Martin Springs, and we want to protect that as much as possible. So if you leave something on the ground in one of the parking lots here at the airport, it will eventually make its way to Onion Creek or the Colorado River. So we, we ask this question to everybody, uh, and I know you're ready for it, but do you remember your first flight into Austin? I do. And like many of your other guests, it was into Mueller, not the new ABIA. I know because Kingsley, look, he's, he looks like he's about, you know, 23. <laughs> so maybe when I was two, I flew into Mueller. But Where were you going I, or? Well, I, I'm from Austin. Uh, I actually grew up in the flight path to Mueller and it was a big deal when the Southwest Airlines Shamu planes would would fly over. Uh, hopefully somebody else remembers that, but that, that was a big deal to me. Is uh, They had a, a wrap on the plane that looked like the Orca Shamu from SeaWorld. So that, that's kind of my earliest memory of the old Mueller Airport, but uh, I think I just flew in one time from visiting my grandparents uh, when I was a child. That's awesome. So we are we are still so Bryce right it's now. Like we're you still, and me are the only ones who've yeah, ever and, were and our and first flight wasn't. Yeah, yes. that's that's very interesting, especially on our tenth episode now. That like most folks' first flight. So yeah, that's really. It's cool. like we don't belong here, Bryce. <laughs> Well, thanks so much to Kingsley for joining us on this episode of The Austin Approach. It was really great having him on here. We really appreciate all of the incredible work that the environmental team does here at AUS. Uh, as we wrap up this episode today, uh, we've got a destination, but I'm going to leave it to Michelle to talk a little bit more about in a second. So I think we'll just wrap up this episode of the podcast by saying, once again, thanks for listening to The Austin Approach, and we'll talk to you soon. Bienvenidos a Cabo San Lucas, el extremo más sur de la península de Baja California en México. Bryce, I am coming to you today from the beautiful Cabo San Lucas. I'm here at the beach with my feet dipping into the gorgeous Pacific Ocean. I can tell you right now, when you get to the airport here, the birds are chirping and you're suddenly interrupted by the sound of business. Cabo is a place where Mexican traditions just meet American influence. There's all kinds of wonderful things to do here uh, between mariachis and snorkeling, fishing in the North Pacific for blue marlin and tuna. I'm telling you where I am right now is the freshest seafood that I've ever had. So if you're into snorkeling, water sports, sunset cruises, sandy beaches, dune buggies, get ready to enjoy the views, the bartering, the shopping, the food and so many activities. This is somewhere where I will totally come back. I, I, I would say I, would, I miss you, Bryce, but in all honesty, I could stay here forever. Take care. Travel to Cabo.
The Austin Approach is the official podcast of Austin Bergstrom International Airport and the City of Austin's Department of Aviation. Our theme music is produced by Michael Pinnock, the AUS Music Program Coordinator. Thanks for listening.